Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. The title of the sermon series is Answer. We're going to uh, be in the Bible today. If you got a Bible, you might want to open with me to, um, where are we at? 2 Corinthians. We're going to work through 2 Corinthians 3 and 4. Before we do that, I just thought I would get you a picture of some, I saw some grilled salmon the other day. Just had to show you a picture of grilled salmon. All right. Hey, what do you get when you, speaking of salmon, what do you get when you put Nutella on salmon? Salmonella. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that sounds pretty gross anyway. All right. So, um, hey, um, I'm sure if you've ever been around a church whatsoever, you've heard God loves you. God has a plan for your life. God wants to use you. You've heard those words, right? Right? All right. So can we agree that those are words that are spoken? But do you ever wonder how in the world can you use a loser like me? How can you love? Do you really love somebody like me? Maybe I'm the only person that realizes how much I screw up, all right? (laughs) You know, Jesus said, if you look lustfully at a woman, you've already committed adultery in your heart. I'm done. (laughs) Right? How about this one? Third, that shall not murder, but but if you speak angrily towards someone, you've committed murder in your heart. Well, I'm really done. I have no hope. Do you ever ever look at your own world and think, how can God actually be involved with a life of somebody as messed up as I am? Yes, God wants to save you. God wants to bless you. He loves you. He wants to use you. And he wants to give you fulfillment. And the way God does that is God has a plan and he provides truth. But at some point, you have to be willing to listen to the truth and respond to it rather than respond to the voices in your head that you're not good enough, you don't belong, or whatever it is. The sermon series is an answer because God is presenting something to you. And what he's presenting is acceptance and love and a chance to live in his fullness and his blessing. But if he's presenting it to you, you have to do something. You have to answer. You have to receive it. You have to step into it. So would you stand to your feet with me in honor of God's Word? Now, we are going to be in 2 Corinthians today, but this verse we're going to read is our verse for the entire sermon series, and it's a verse, I pulled it out of the New Living Translation, it's out of Revelation 3.20, and I would like you, could you read it out loud with me? You ready? Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. So what does God say to us? What does Jesus say? He says, I am at the door of your heart. I'm knocking. If you'll open up, we get to eat. 
Now that's real friends right there. I like to eat. Yeah. You really, Jesus, when I get to heaven, there's going to be Mexican food in heaven. <laughs> beans and rice and rice and beans. Yeah. 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 With a little guacamole on the side. Some pico de gallo. Right? Yeah. Maybe even some queso on the side and chips. Churros. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what Jesus says is he wants to eat with you. I don't know about you, but I don't like to eat with people I don't like. Right? Yeah, anybody ever eat a meal with somebody you don't like and you're worried the whole time you're going to say something wrong? Right? Well, God says that he likes you enough that he wants to hang out with you and eat with you as a friend. So, Father, I pray that today, you know, I could probably share the content of this sermon I prepared. I could probably share it in my own brain from my own thoughts. But that wouldn't do anybody in this room any good. So I'm asking you to fill these words and take it to human hearts so that we would respond and we would step into the life you have for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. Amen. Now hold on for you seated because there, there's somebody next to you that they, everybody's been grumpy to them all week long. And you know what they need? They need somebody today. There's, I guarantee you there's somebody in this room. The whole world's been grumpy to them all week long. And they need you to smile at them and let them know that it's all right. They're loved, they're liked, and it's okay to be here. So turn and give somebody a big smile and maybe say hi before you sit down. Hey, if you're online, here's your smile. I'm so glad you're here. So glad you're here. All right, so I take care of my cars. I take care of my stuff. A couple years ago, I went out and I got, uh, I got my tires changed. And uh, I guess tire, you know, you get 100,000 miles on a car or a truck, it starts getting old and things start breaking. So I just changed my tires on my truck and I keep, I, I'm one of those people, I don't understand people that uh, don't ever notice your tires. I'm noticing your tires for you. I'll pull up. I'm the guy. I'll pull up to you at the stoplight, roll down my window and say, your front left tire needs some air. I am that guy. But I have on my, my vehicles right now on the dashboard, dummy lights going off at me. And you want to really tick me off? Give me dummy lights going off on the dashboard when there's nothing broken. You know that tire pressure thing that they started putting on tires? Are we so dumb that we can't check our own tires. We got to have a light come on and say, low air pressure. What? Are you just trying to run up my bill at the, the, the auto mechanic? Come on. Is anybody bugged by this other than me? Because I got apparently on both cars, one of the tire pressure things is sensors is broken. So I got a light on my dashboard every single day telling me I got low air in my tires when I know that I got 34 pounds of air in my truck tires and my SUV has 33 pounds of air in the tires because I check them. I change the oil too. I take care of my vehicles. Right? But I got this warning light going off. You know what warning lights are there for? Warning lights are there to warn people who don't pay attention. And you know, a lot of us, we get really busy with life. We get so busy with life, we, we just don't pay attention to some things we should pay attention to. So could I flash a couple of warning lights this morning to you? Could I flash a couple of warning lights from these passages? I want to talk to you 
about some warning lights in your life that are probably going off. And if they aren't, I want them to go off this morning. And I want you to check up the condition of your life. And the first thing we're going to do is we're going to warning light talk about check your source. Check your source. Um, now, I, I have a I have some higher education, so I occasionally get to teach college. I've never taught high school or middle school. I coached in middle school, but I've never taught. But when I teach college, I like to see how students learn by giving them papers to write, right? And when they give a paper, I like them to be able to tell me what they have read that influenced their, their writing, and then they need to do what? They need to, come on, they need to... They need to cite their sources. They need to tell me where they got it from. And TikTok, by the way, is not a source. Those of you that are getting your life information from TikTok, it is not a source. Now, they might have, somebody on there might have read a source and reported it on TikTok, but it's not a source. Anyway, don't get me started on that. Please don't. <laughs> Check your source. So we are motivated by a source in our lives. And you're either motivated by one of two sources. And what Paul is going to do here in 2 Corinthians is he's going to talk about two possible sources we have. And he's going to talk about what the results of both of those sources are. The first one is uh, the law. Um, let, let's just read the passage and I think you'll understand. 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 6. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent of ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. Where does your competence come from? God, not you. He has made us competent. Man, there's some of you, you need to write this on your mirror. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives. All right, so there are two sources that are possible. One would be the letter, and what he's referencing here, and what he's going to reference through this entire passage, is when Moses went up on the mountain, and God, like, spoke to him and revealed himself to him, and he gave him the commands, the initial commands of the law, and Moses brought them down, and Moses had glory all over his face. He had seen God, and there was a reflection. Everybody's like, oh, Moses, we can't stand to look at you, because it reminds us how broken we are, that you're reflecting the glory of God. So Moses put a veil over his face, to, and then he would, when he went back to God's presence, he would take the veil off, but when he had to deal with other people, he'd put a veil back on. And this is the story that we're talking about here in this passage. And what Paul is going to do is he's going to walk through this and he's going to say that the glory that Moses had coming down from the mountain, giving the law, is a glory that was fading, it was transitional, it was dying, it was passing, it was ending. But there is a glory that we can have that is life-giving. Because you see, the glory of the law, it kills, right there, for the letter does what? kills. What does it kill? What's the second word in that passage? It kills your confidence. It kills your confidence. I talk to 
we started this message by saying, anybody know that God loves them and all that kind of stuff, but yet you don't feel it and you don't feel like you can manifest it. You don't feel like you can, why? And you feel less than and you feel under condemnation. The reason is, is because you're still trying to live the Christian life by the letter of the law rather than by the fullness of the Spirit. The letter of the law steals your competence because you're not confident. You can't be competent to obey. There are 613 commands. All right, all right. So I grew up in a very legalistic environment where the law was all I was told, all right? Moses gave us the law and we're to be people of the rules. Rules, rules, rules. Rules, rules, rules. And, and I love this one. All right, I'll give you a perfect example of how the rules just don't work. So anybody ever hear that verse, do not tattoo yourself? Anybody ever hear that verse quoted at you? Yep, yep. Don't tattoo yourself. I heard that one quoted. Now, I don't have tattoos, not because there's some moral. I'll talk to you about that in a second. Not some moral thing. I just, I'm pragmatic. I wanted to get an eagle across my chest when I was young, but by now it would be a buzzard somewhere down here. (laughs) So I I just didn't get tattoos. I'm, I'm one of the weird ones. My skin's still the way it came. Well, older and stretched and wrinkly. But other than that... Uh, but you know, those that use that verse, don't tattoo yourself to beat people up for getting tattoos. I, I thought it was funny. I was reading the Bible one day and I actually, you know, I, I do weird things like read this book I, for me, not to preach, but for me. And I'm reading it one day for me and I read the verse before it. You know what it says? The verse before don't tattoo yourself. Does anybody know? It says, don't cut this part of your hair. And it was funny to me that every preacher I ever heard yell at people about not tattooing themselves all cut their hair. (laughs) So what you do is you pick and choose which law you're going to use. And that's the reason you have no confidence because even though you may be pressing this rule, you know you're disobeying this rule. And the fact is, can we just go back to where we started? And can we all acknowledge that nobody in this room is a good rule keeper? That you've all broken them? Oh, come on. Don't make me go there. If there's anybody in the room that thinks you've obeyed all the rules, I could just start with don't bear false witness. Have you ever told a story and you exaggerated it slightly to make yourself look better than the other person? That's every one of you. You're all going to hell. Can we all just face it? So what the law does, and obeying the law, is it takes away our confidence so we think, I'm not good enough. Can we just face the facts? You're not good enough. There. You're not. Not that we are competent in ourselves. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. But our competence comes from who? God. God. He has made us competent. He does. He does. How how does he do that? Well, I tell you what, let's skip on down. 2 Corinthians 3, 7, the very next verse. Uh, Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters of stone, came with glory, so Moses up on the mountain, and that was really glorious and awesome, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory, and a key word here, transitory, Though it was, I did a little Greek research and it means brought to naught, useless, abolished. So the glory of the law and the presentation of the law, according to the Bible, those rules are brought to nothing, abolished. They were transitory. They are done with. Now, uh, will not, 
So now he's going to draw a comparison. He said, will not the ministry of the Spirit have greater glory than the glory of the law? So he's pointing out that there's a, a motivation by the Spirit, not the law. And he says, if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious the ministry that brings righteousness through Jesus? For what was glorious has no glory in comparison with the all-surpassing glory of Jesus. Yeah, and if what is transitory came with glory, if what was ending came with glory, how much greater is that which lasts, which Jesus lives forever? Therefore, since we have hope, we're very bold. We can have confidence. We can be bold. We don't have to live like everybody else, condemning ourselves and questioning ourselves all the time because we know that it's not by us that we have the blessing and the power and the goodness of God, but because God loves us. Recklessly, he pursues you down with this love. So, all right. Uh, can, we, can we skip down to 2 Corinthians 3.13 real quick? We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. So the glory of the law was passing away. It was meant to teach us how bad we are so our hearts would be open to how good Jesus is. That's the purpose of the law, all right? But their minds were made dull. For to this very day, the same veil remains when the old covenant, when the law is read when you, when you try to live by the law, you just put a veil over your life. It's like me picking up my wife's glasses. Come on, I wear glasses. And my glasses are made for me. The other day I picked up my wife's glasses thinking they were mine and I put them on and I was like, y'all, all right? That's how it is when you, a believer in Jesus, are trying to live your life under the power of the law. You're wearing the wrong glasses and you're not gonna see anything, all right? But even to this day, Oh, 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 oh. But it, it has not been removed because, notice this, only in Christ is the veil taken away. Only in Christ do you get the right glasses, the right way to see again. Even to this day when Moses read, the veil covers their hearts. But when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And because the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? So, um, law versus spirit. Uh, several years ago, I was in Germany. I was there on a missions trip, and uh, I've, I've got a life dream. One of my life dreams is to drive on the Audubon. Does anybody know something about the Audubon? There, there is no speed limit on the Audubon. You're talking my language. And I've always wanted to drive on the Audubon. No no. So, the problem was, I was in a 12-passenger VW diesel van. Not my Mercedes or my Porsche. I was in a diesel van. I had, it was a 12-passenger van. There were 11 people in the van with me. I talked to the missionary. Missionary said, if we get to a place where you feel comfortable and, you know, the, the vision and sight lines are right, just go ahead and open it up and see what you can do, and I'll, I'll go with you. So, sure enough, we were driving. It was about an hour-long drive, and I'm cruising along, and I get to the top of a hill, and I'm going to go down a slight incline on a hill, and there are no cars in front of me, and nothing was coming up behind me. It was just me and the missionary in front of me and the open road in my, in the Audubon with no rules. 
So there's still a dent, I think, in the floorboard of that v, VW van where I slam that gas to the pedal and it goes, you know, and we take off down. We're going downhill, so we're gaining speed. We're going, gaining speed and there's no rule. There's no law to stop me. Come on. But somewhere about 150 kilometers, my wheel started going like that. And I got 11 other people's life in the van. And even though I could have pressed it farther, even though there was no law, the spirit of love for those around me made me stop what I was doing because I cared more for them than I did my speed. And so it is with the law. If you're trying to live under the power of the law and you're trying to be good enough, you'll never know the freedom that comes from you intentionally backing off of what you want because you love other people more than you love your own desires. Second of all, check your reflection. Check what you're reflecting. I wake up every morning... I look in the mirror and I say, hello, beautiful. And then my wife leaves the bathroom. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. I look in the mirror just like the rest of you. you. You have to fix your hair. Come on. Everybody in the room probably looked in the mirror today, right? And you looked in the mirror and you saw you. And I don't know what you see when you look in the mirror, but some of us, we have a fun house view of ourselves when we look in the mirror. Anybody ever been to a fun house and you walk in and like it's crooked and I'm standing there like that? That's just how I feel when I go to the chiropractor. And, you know, you're back, or, or maybe your torso's like this long and your legs are that long. Anybody ever been to a fun house and seen the mirrors? When they warp them, what they do, they bend them in ways that make your reflection distorted. What Paul wants to do is he wants to talk to us about checking, check that, that warning sign that says you might have some distortion in your reflection. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the Word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing because the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Do you ever wonder how people can think some of the things they think? I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. How did we get to this point in our culture where people think these distorted views, it's because the God of this age has twisted our reflection of us and of God and of others so much so that we're literally blinded to the truth so that they cannot see the light of the gospel and displays the glory of Christ as the image of God. So one of my greatest values, one of my personal greatest values is truth. I don't care if I agree with it or not, truth is still truth. Yeah. Truth is, uh, here's a great definition of truth for you, that which corresponds to reality. And, and the fact of the matter is this, truth is truth whether you like it or not. Yeah. And if you don't agree with truth, then your life will experience pain because of your lack of agreement with truth. 
that one guy said this. Um, I'm reading this book. The guy's not a believer, so this isn't a Christian that said this. This is a psychiatrist writing a book about dealing with trauma in your brain, and I'm on a big brain kick now in all my reading, but he said, the greatest sources of our suffering are the lies we tell ourselves. A lot of us have a distorted view of reality because what we're doing is we're believing the lies the world tells about us and the lies Satan is telling us and the lies we are telling ourselves. But Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now I was listening to Dave Ramsey this morning. Anybody listen to Dave Ramsey? You know what I'm talking about. And... Um, he was preaching at a church I listen at on Sunday mornings because they're, they're fiery and energetic and they get me going. So while I'm eating breakfast, I was listening to Dave. And Dave said, you know, I went to school and I had a professor of economics that told me how to handle money. And he told me to use debt, to leverage debt, to gain wealth. And then he said, I, I did it. I went out and did it. And then I got broke. He said, I looked at my professor. My professor of economics was broke. <laughs> Telling me how to make money when he's broke. If he knows what he's talking about, why didn't he do it? <laughs> right? You will know the truth. And David said, so what I did was I picked up the Bible because the Bible's been making people rich for ages. And he said, I looked at the Bible and I found out how God said to handle money and I started doing it his way and I got money. But the professor was broke because the God of this age distorted him into pronouncing things. Professors don't know everything. College students, listen to me. I, I have hung out with them as a teacher in their lobbies. And some of them are just world-class idiots with a degree. <laughs> And if your professor of economics is broke, he probably got wrong information. <laughs> and if you're, anyway, nope, 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 I'm going to stick to my notes. Can we just simply say that our world is giving a distorted view of truth, but God's truth is always truth, whether you like it or not. Listen, I'm not talking about obeying all the rules, but come on. There are some very, very clear ways to approach life outlined in this book and some very clear views of how you should think about yourself and how you should think about the world and your problems, right? They're very clear. Just, I don't know about that. Well, just take a moment and read it. <laughs> I mean, seriously. All right. Yeah. And if you believe differently, you're wrong. If you believe differently, you're wrong. And if you're wrong, what's the smartest thing you could do? Change to what's right. A distorted, some of you have a distorted view of yourself. You think you can never do anything with your life. Some of you think that you're awesome and you're really not as awesome as you think. <laughs> And there are some of you that you think you're horrible and you're a whole lot awesomer than you think. Are you hearing me? So what you ought to do is maybe you ought to find some verses in the Bible that speak to that and maybe put them on three by five note cards and leave them around until you force yourself to read. Like in Isaiah where he says, you are the apple of my eye. Sign God. Wouldn't it be nice for you to read that rather than you're a loser? All right. 
I, I, I got to preach somehow and I keep getting. So what happens is we need to check our reflection and make sure we're reflecting the right thing. Um, here, I got a little video of a guy that came in reflecting the wrong thing. And that's, uh, yeah, go for it. Hi, my name is Willie. And I came to Harvest Ridge in January of 99. And believe me, I didn't want to go to church and I didn't want to be part of an organized religion. As a matter of fact, several times before I even had got an opportunity to meet your pastor, I wanted to fight him. I think I would have lost. However, coming here, I gave my life to Christ three weeks later. And life's been amazing ever since. I've had the opportunity to serve in several capacities. And I even run uh, a small group called Overcoming Addictions. And I'm finding more and more peace, serenity, of things that I was searching for that weren't out there for me on the streets. And you can find them here too. Yeah. And that is what I would like y'all to do. Yeah, you can give William a hand. Give God a hand, because I don't know. I think he probably would have. I, I know Willie. He might have won that fight. Anyway, you know what he said, though, is he said that God changed his life here at Harvest Ridge. And there are some of you that God's changed your life here at Harvest Ridge. And what I'm asking you to do is put a simple video together like that. Try to keep it about 30 seconds. And if you could, just send it to info at harvestridge.net. And what I'd like to do is share with our community and people in our community for our 30th anniversary. I'd like to share some of the stories of life change that have happened here. So that, you ready for this? So that the average person that watches that video knows that if God did it for you, he can do it for them too. We are, well, last of all, we need to check our motives. Why are we doing what we're doing? Why do I want you to do that? Let's check our motives on it. Um, first of all, can I say that fear is sometimes a good motive? I am really scared of three things. Snakes, tornadoes, and an angry woman. I, I am scared of those three things. I have fear of those three things. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, So we make it our goal to please God, to please Him, to please God, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Do you know you're going to have to give an account to God for everything you've done in your body? God, some, some of you gave incredible talents and you're not using them. And you're going to have to give an account to God for not using your talents. Others of you, you use your talents to extreme limits. And you have made every place you go like a flower garden around you because you're so awesome. And when you get to heaven, God's going to go, you got this. Here, take the crown. You, I tell you what you're going to need. You're going to need a crane to like put the crown on your head. It's going to be like beep, 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 beep. I don't know. I think when I get to heaven, I, I want the size of crown that I'm not like a tiara. Oh, Jesus, here's my tiara for my life lift for you. I want like a, one of those big, heavy elevator cranes swinging over. <laughs> you know why? Uh, sorry. ADHD moment. But you know why? The Bible says, you know what we're going to do for the rest of eternity? We're going to take our crowns off and lay them before God's feet as an act of worship. And I don't want to, for the rest of my eternity, say, okay, God, here's my tiara that I wasted my life. 
I want a life that's going to give God praise and glory for eternity, not just for a day or two. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to have to give an account for everything you've done in this body. Everything. One Wednesday night years ago, I said something really, really, really stupid. And a family walked out of the room and walked away from faith because of me. I will have to give an account to God for that moment. And I'm not looking forward to it. There's a little fear in me when I think about that moment. That's why the part in blue is, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to live our lives to persuade others not to make the same stupid mistakes we make. We know that God's way is best for ourselves and for others. We know that Satan is trying to destroy us and is trying to destroy those around us. But we are compelled by a fear of not letting God down. We're compelled with a fear to do something, to try to reach out, to try to love, to try to care, to try to make a difference. That's one of our motives. But we have a second motive, and that motive is, well, it's in 2 Corinthians 5.14, for Christ's love compels us. Because I believe, I firmly believe in the core of who I am, that God's way for your life is better than you can imagine, better than you can dream. I want you to enter into God's best for you because it's better than you can even dream for yourself. And love for you compels me to tell you, you're being stupid, stop it! All right, you don't believe me? Let me tell you a story and we'll be done. All right? I was, um, I was young. I was probably about 14 years old. And uh, in my family of origin, we did a lot of fishing. We, did, we were jugging. Jug, y'all know what jugging is? Take like a milk jug, you tighten it up so it's full of air, then you tie a cord to it, and the cord has a hook down at the bottom. You throw it out in the lake, and catfish bite the, and you can see them bouncing along as they go, and then you go pick them. Uh, we've caught 30, 40-pound catfish using jugs. It was cool. But anyway, one night we were out jugging at Applegate was the place we were. It was, uh, it was on Kerr Lake, and um, it was early in the morning. We had fished late, late, late into the night, so we're all sort of dreary-eyed. But my aunts got up, and they, uh, my aunts and my mom made chocolate gravy for breakfast. Now, if you're not from the South, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But back in those days, this was like heaven, right? It's chocolate pie pudding filling, handmade, all right? So nothing out of a box. This is like, you know, in a big skillet, they would make it, and it was gravy, but it was chocolate and sweet. And then they would cook biscuits, and you'd take the gravy and pour it on top of the biscuits. And I don't know, when you're a 14-year-old kid, the thought of eating pie for breakfast sounded really cool. And I loved it. So we're sitting there around the lake. You know, we're by the lake. My, we're right, my back is to the lake, and I get my big plate with about four biscuits on it and a pile of gravy, and my plate is huge, and I don't want to miss a drop. So I sit down in my chair, and I sit down really, you know, I cross my legs in the chair so my plate would be on my knees, right, and I could shovel it in. Y'all following me? So Aunt Lily, uh, she comes over, and I'm just enjoying my breakfast. I'm just having fun, you know, shoveling my chocolate gravy in my mouth, and she screams, Kevin! <laughs> Don't move! 
So what was the first thing I did? I moved. <laughs> I started putting my legs down. And she, she got even more animated then. Kevin, I told you don't move. And she's like yelling at me. I'm like, wow, this is some loving morning. She's screaming at me, yelling at me, commanding me. When I finally got around to paying attention to what she was saying, she said, Kevin, there's a snake under your chair. <laughs> and sure enough, I looked down right over the edge of my chocolate gravy, and there was a water moccasin laying right there on the ground. And if I put my foot down, I would have put it right on it. He would have bit me, and, and that would have been no fun. Come on, they're poisonous. That wouldn't, I know people have died from them. Right? She was all rude to me. But I'm very happy she was rude to me. Because if she hadn't yelled at me, I would have put my foot down and I would have gotten bit. And sometimes, sometimes, if you're going to live this life right with the other people around you, there are going to be times you might be taken rude because fear for them and fear of displeasing God and love for them wanting, wanting their life to be better, to be lived in God's fullness is going to command that sometimes you act. One, one final verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. Come on, you don't have to live under condemnation anymore. And all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself. Come on, guys. He reconciled us to himself and gave us now the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. And then he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal to you through us. And here it is. We implore you, be reconciled to God. Because God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That in him we might become the righteousness of God. Can I, can I be a little fearful this morning? I'm afraid you're in this place and you've been living religion and you've never lived God. You've never stepped into forgiveness and grace and love. You're still living law and, and anger. And yeah, I'm a little animated because I'm afraid that you're going you're gonna to live the rest of your life wasting it with those lies and those distortions. I want to invite you into Jesus. I want to invite you into freedom. For the word of the Spirit in this passage, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's liberty. There's freedom. Come on. I want to invite you into that life. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. And I'm going to ask you right now, right where you are, have you made Jesus your Lord? Have you accepted him as your Savior? Have you stepped out of darkness and into his light? Have you gotten rid of your old life and accepted his new one? If you want to do that right now, I'd like to pray with you. Would you lift your hand real high? I want to pray with you right now. If that's you, lift your hand. Yes, yes. There are others? Yes, yes. Surround this room. Oh, nobody prays alone at Harvest Ridge. Everybody, we pray together out loud right now, all of us together. You ready? Dear Jesus, I give you my lies. 
I give you my distortions. I accept your truth. Redeem me by your love. Give me your salvation. Thank you. I receive it. Be my Lord. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, you are now a child of Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation on you. For you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Live it. Start living it. Come on, if people don't understand you, that's all right. They didn't understand Jesus. But they know you'll love them. Come on. Let's go. Let's. It is though we are Christ's ambassadors as whipped he makes his appeal through us. You are now representing God everywhere you go. You are. You are. I don't care if you feel like it or not. You are. So would you stand with me? Those of you representing Jesus when you walk out of these doors, I'm going to pray this prayer over you. Ready? Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go live it. Go have fun. Say hi to somebody before you leave today. God bless you guys. Have a great day.